Book Six, Chapter Sixteen of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli, Book Six, Chapter Sixteen, in which Mister Temple surprises his daughter weeping. The Count Mirabel proceeded with his projects with all the ardor, address, and audacity of one habituated to success. By some means or other, he contrived to see Miss Temple almost daily. He paid assiduous court to the Duchess, on whom he had made a favorable impression from the first. In St. James Square he met Mr. Temple, who was partial to the society of a distinguished foreigner. He was delighted with Count Mirabel. As for Miss Grandison, the Count absolutely made her his confidant, though he concealed this bold step from Ferdinand. He established his intimacy in the three families, and even mystified Sir Radcliffe and Lady Armine so completely that they imagined he must be some acquaintance that Ferdinand had made abroad, and they received him accordingly as one of their son's oldest and most cherished friends. But the most amusing circumstance of all was that the Count, who even in business never lost sight of what might divert or interest him, became great friends with Mr. Glastonbury. Count Mirabel comprehended and appreciated that good man's character. All Count Mirabel's efforts were directed to restore the influence of Ferdinand Armine over Henrietta Temple, and with this view he omitted no opportunity of impressing the idea of his absent friend on that lady's susceptible brain. His virtues, his talents, his accomplishments, his sacrifices, but above all, his mysterious sufferings, and the fatal end which the Count was convinced awaited him, were placed before her in a light so vivid that they engrossed her thought and imagination. She could not resist the fascination of talking about Ferdinand Armine to Count Mirabel. He was the constant subject of their discourse. All her feelings now clustered round his image. She had quite abandoned her old plan of marrying him to his cousin. That was desperate. Did she regret it? She scarcely dared urge to herself this secret question. And yet it seemed that her heart, too, would break were Ferdinand and others. But, then, what was to become of him? Was he to be left desolate? Was he indeed to die? And Digby, the amiable, generous Digby, ah, why did she ever meet him? unfortunate, unhappy woman, and yet she was resolved to be firm. She could not falter. She would be the victim of her duty, even if she died at the altar. Almost she wished that she had ceased to live, and then the recollection of Armine came back to her so vividly, and those long days of passionate delight. All his tenderness and all his truth for he had been true to her. Always had he been true to her. She was not the person who ought to complain of his conduct. 
and yet she was the person who alone punished him. How different was the generous conduct of his cousin. She had pardoned all. She sympathized with him. She sorrowed for him. She tried to soothe him. She labored to unite him to her rival. What must he think of herself? How hard-hearted, how selfish, must the contrast prove her? Could he indeed believe now that she had ever loved him? Oh, no, he must despise her. He must believe that she was sacrificing her heart to the splendor of rank. Oh, could he believe this? Her Ferdinand, her romantic Ferdinand, who had thrown fortune and power to the winds, but to gain that very heart. What a return had she made him! And for all his fidelity, he was punished, lone, disconsolate, forlorn, overpowered by vulgar cares, heartbroken, meditating even death. The picture was too terrible, too harrowing. She hid her face in the pillow of the sofa on which she was seated, and wept bitterly. She felt an arm softly twined round her waist. She looked up. It was her father. My child, he said, you are agitated. Yes, yes, I am agitated, she said in a low voice. You are unwell. Worse than unwell. Tell me what ails you, Henrietta. Grief for which there is no cure. Indeed, I am greatly astonished. His daughter only sighed. Speak to me, Henrietta. Tell me what has happened. I cannot speak. Nothing has happened. I have nothing to say. To see you thus makes me quite unhappy, said Mr. Temple. If only for my sake, let me know the cause of this overwhelming emotion. It is a cause that will not please you. Forget, sir, what you have seen. A father cannot. I entreat you, tell me. If you love me, Henrietta, speak. Sir, sir, I was thinking of the past. Is it so bitter? Ah, that I should live, said Miss Temple. Henrietta, my own Henrietta, my child, I beseech you, tell me all. Something has occurred. Something must have occurred to revive such strong feelings. Has, has, I know not what to say, but so much happens that surprises me. I know, I have heard, that you have seen one who once influenced your feelings, that you have been thrown in unexpected contact with him. He has not, he has not dared. Say nothing harshly of him said Miss Temple wildly. I will not bear it, even from you. My daughter. Why, your daughter, but still a woman. Do I murmur? Do I complain? Have I urged you to compromise your honor? I am ready for the sacrifice. My conduct is yours, but my feelings are my own. Sacrifice, Henrietta, what sacrifice? I have heard only of your happiness. I have thought only of your happiness. This is a strange return. Father, forget what you have seen. Forgive what I have said. But let this subject drop forever. It cannot drop here. 
Captain Armine prefers his suit? Continued Mr. Temple, in a tone of stern enquiry. What if he did? He has a right to do so. As good a right as he had before. You are rich now, Henrietta, and he perhaps would be faithful. Oh, Ferdinand! exclaimed Miss Temple, lifting up her hands and eyes to heaven. And you must endure even this. Henrietta, said Mr. Temple in a voice of affected calmness, as he seated himself by her side, listen to me. I am not a harsh parent. You cannot upbraid me with insensibility to your feelings. They have ever engrossed my thought and care, and how to gratify, and when necessary, how to soothe them, has long been the principal occupation of my life. If you have known misery, girl, you made that misery yourself. It was not I that involved you in secret engagements and clandestine correspondence. It was not I that made you, you, my daughter, on whom I have lavished all the solicitude of long years, the dupe of the first calculating libertine who dared to trifle with your affections and betray your heart. "'Tis false!' exclaimed Miss Temple, interrupting him. "'He is as true and pure as I am. More, much more!' she added in a voice of anguish. "'No doubt!' He has convinced you of it, said Mr. Temple, with a laughing sneer. Now, mark me, he continued, resuming his calm tone. You interrupted me. Listen to me. You are the betrothed bride of Lord Montfort. Lord Montfort, my friend, the man I love most in the world, the most generous, the most noble, the most virtuous the most gifted of human beings. You gave him your hand freely, under circumstances which, even if he did not possess every quality that ought to secure the affection of a woman, should bind you to him with an unswerving faith. Falter one jot, and I whistle you off forever. You are no more daughter of mine. I am as firm as I am fond, nor would I do this but that I know well I am doing rightly. Yes, take this armine once more to your heart, and you receive my curse, the deepest, the sternest, the deadliest that ever descended on a daughter's head. My father, my dear, dear father, my beloved father, exclaimed Miss Temple, throwing herself at his feet. Oh, do not say so. Oh, recall those words, those wild those terrible words. Indeed, indeed, my heart is breaking. Pity me, pity me. For God's sake, pity me. I would do more than pity you. I would save you. It is not as you think, she continued with streaming eyes. Indeed, it is not. He has not preferred suit. He has urged no claim. He has behaved in the most delicate, the most honorable, the most considerate manner. He has thought only of my situation. He met me by accident. My friends are his friends. They know not what has taken place between us. He has not breathed it to human beings. He has absented himself from his home 
that we might not meet. You must marry Lord Montfort at once. Oh, my father, even as you like. But do not curse me. Dream not of such terrible things. Recall those fearful words. Love me, love me. Say I am your child. And Digby, I am true to Digby. But indeed, can I recall the past? Can I alter it? Its memory overcame me. Digby knows all. Digby knows we met. He did not curse me. He was kind and gentle. Oh, my father. My Henrietta, said Mr. Temple, moved. My child. Oh, my father, I will do all you wish, but speak not again as you have spoken of Ferdinand. We have done him great injustice. I have done him great injury. He is good and pure. Indeed he is. If you knew all, you would not doubt it. He was ever faithful. Indeed, indeed he was. Once you liked him. Speak kindly of him, father. He is the victim. If you meet him, be gentle to him, sir. For indeed, if you knew all, you would pity him. End of Book Six Chapter 16